Hello, and welcome back to the Cuse Conversations podcast. My name is John Boccasino, the communications specialist in Syracuse University's Office of Alumni Engagement. I'm also a 2003 graduate of the SI Newhouse School of Public Communications with a degree in broadcast journalism. I am so glad you found our podcast. Well, folks, on this episode of the Cuse Conversations Alumni Podcast, we are thrilled to welcome on three of the founding principles of Upstatement, a company that provides design leadership for clients ranging from nonprofits and publishers to global brands. With the global pandemic known as COVID-19 wreaking chaos around the world, we are pleased to have these three alumni on who are doing their part to design COVID-19 specific initiatives aimed at making a difference while having an impact on our efforts to contain the spread of the coronavirus. They are Jared Novak, Mike Swartz, and Tito Batita. Guys, thank you for coming on the podcast today. We really appreciate you making some time. Thanks for having us, John. Yeah, glad Great to be intro, here. man. Well, you know, we're trying to encapsulate everything that your your company does, and it's it's great because as someone, your company is involved in design, and and the website, I have to say, is is beautifully designed. There's a lot of great information out there uh, for people that want to learn more about this company. It's upstatement.com. You can hear about their story. Uh, the company launched in, launched in 2008, but really, you guys give a lot of credit to Syracuse University for bringing together uh, your stories and intertwining them. How I'll start with you, Jared. What role did Syracuse play in in bringing you three together and in launching Upstatement? Well, it isn't just that the three of us met at Syracuse. Uh, the three of us got to actually work together for many years at Syracuse. I met Tito uh, my second day on campus. I was looking through the DO and I saw an ad for, hey, we're hiring designers. And I was like, well, I'm kind of like looking for something to do and I know how to design. So I knocked on the door of 744 Ostrom and Tito Botita answered the door. I remember that knock like it was yesterday, Jared. <laughs> and that was uh, 17 years ago now. Uh, and we have been working together uh, pretty much consistently since then. Uh, we got a lot of experience together, you know, through late nights, putting out a paper every single day. Uh, a few years later, I met Mike uh, doing the same thing. And uh, it's been awesome to not just uh, start something with these guys from Syracuse, but we had our experience kind of like learning who we were and how we worked together um, through four years there. Yeah, Jared, I think we only, there's only been two years out of the past uh, 17, 18 years that we haven't been together. So we yeah. worked worked together for three years at the Daily Orange, and then we went to the Boston Globe, which is where Mike joined us. Yeah, I've only, I've only met these guys. I'm the interloper because I've only known these guys for like 15 years. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we got to, you know, work together on campus and working at the DO was such a great experience because, you know, you really, it wasn't like a class project where someone's telling you what to do and you're doing it for the grade. It was like really pushing yourself and seeing how our peers push themselves. Uh, and honestly, like a huge respect for each other and the way we work has really kind of like laid the groundwork for the creative team we've built today at Upstatement. Um, you know, and the DO is a pretty big operation, but now we have, you know, the up- upstatement today is 45 people. Uh, now we're working all over the place, but pretty much learned the basics of management as kids at the DO uh, and stuck together. So, yeah, I always felt like we were just rebuilding the DO um, in real life. Yeah, it really was like it really was. It felt like an ideal, even though, uh, you know, we, we may have ignored some of our academics uh, in in favor of working on the extracurriculars that were the daily orange but you know in hindsight it turned out to be such a great environment and we honestly like got a lot from the just the community and the people that we met uh you know on campus that helped us out like having great guides um at the university and kind of interacting with them as peers like 
you know, getting legal advice from Roy Gutterman, uh, <laughs> like in for, on things that actually had an impact <laughs> and what wasn't like Kamala, um, you know, speculative kind of case studies. So that that was pretty cool. Now, with, with the fact that all three of you do trace your orange roots and your creative roots to the Daily Orange and being newspapermen, how do you feel having that newspaper experience? Uh, and Tito, I'll ask you this question first or Mike, if you want to jump in, but when it comes to newspapers and being experts, you know, you, you're a reporter, you go out there, you tell the story, you've got to do your research and become an expert on that topic for that assignment. How did that parlay over to your work with Upstatement? Yeah, I, I can take that. I mean, I always think that there's a really strong through line from the journalism work that we did to into the work today, both through uh, storytelling background. I think that that has uh is hugely present in our work to this day. I think that, uh, like you said, kind of becoming an instant expert on a topic, you know, we work across a variety of different uh, fields and industries. So we don't just work with media uh, companies, we work with uh, big brands like Tito's Vodka or uh, higher education like MIT and Harvard. And every situation that we parachute into, we kind of have to become an expert and learn to know the people as well as they know themselves and understand what their problems are and see things from their point of view and then kind of help them to, uh, you know, explain what they do or kind of solve their problem uh, for a mass audience, right? So we're turning that into a, a website or, a, you know, a product like an app that you use on, on your phone or something like that. And that, that all kind of starts with understanding who they are and then understanding who they're trying to communicate with and kind of bridging the gap there. Um, there's kind of a third part too, where I think that there's a real kind of noble pursuit inside of, uh, journalism, you know, you're, you're trying to give people information to make better decisions and, you know, illuminate the, the world around them. And I think that there's a real strong sense of, uh, you know, being ethical and trying to do things to, that, that make the world better that I, I see as going back to our journalism roots and is still really present in the way that the firm approaches our work. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a combo of like theory and the kind of like research that we do that's now, you know, we didn't know it at the time, but now it's kind of the design thinking exercises and the things that help clients really articulate their story. But then the craft that kind of helps you build a great experience around it. Um, but there's also kind of another factor that, you know, we started Upstatement a little over 12 years ago. Um, that was in 2000, April 2008. Uh, but at the time, our connections in journalism that we had kind of laid the groundwork for at Syracuse opened a lot of doors for us. Um, and, you know, there, we met so many interesting people in newsrooms and some of them are still there and many of them went on to do other things. Um, but they continue to kind of like uh, make connections because the media world is actually extremely small. And we met a pretty like 50% of those people while we were still students at Syracuse. Um, <laughs> like I was on the phone with someone today who, who, you know, we interacted with uh, 10 years ago at Toronto have like overlapping connections. Um, so that was one of those things uh, we worked on the, website for global news in, uh, in, in Toronto, um, right after we designed, uh, bostonglobe.com, but it's this kind of like small world thing. And then you, you just meet the, the coolest people doing it. And that's kind of continued to pay dividends for us. When it comes to upstatement, Mike mentioned April, 2008, the company gets off the ground. What were your goals? What was this company founded with a principle of trying to provide for a service for its customers? I think we're still trying to figure that out. Um, <laughs> paying our rent was a huge goal in April yeah. 2008. <laughs> we were all very lucky to have 
the right skills at the right time. We were amongst the first people like in our business, like in the newsrooms that we're working with to have any idea about how to use the internet to do news. It was just like, we kind of thought it was old hat because we had kind of come up with it, but other people were like, oh man, you know how to like upload a video? That's crazy. And we were like, yeah, isn't it obvious? And I think we kind of took that realization to say, well, wait a second, we can take what we know right now um, and we can be on the leading edge of this and start offering these services um, in ways that we um, believe in also. We, we set out and we didn't want to become kind of an advertising company. We knew we didn't love that world. We loved making digital products before that term even existed. So we were able to kind of like spearhead that and shape that uh, around an industry we knew really well, journalism. So that kind of um, resulted in some early like news websites, like Mike mentioned, bostonglobe.com. That was the first website that ever used like responsive design. So we wanted to bring these things together. Um, and we were just really at the right place at the right time and able to connect all of these different um, pieces that we saw, both kind of the journalism of making things and explaining them to the world, but also the design piece. How can you make something that is beautiful for the internet? And man, you look back at the internet in the late 2000s and it's not beautiful. It is really crude. Um, and we were trying to figure out early on, okay, how can we bring typography? How can we bring user experience? How can we bring kind of this design thinking thing that again, the term didn't exist, but we were still doing it and figuring out how these pieces all kind of related to design experience and content. Yeah, it always feels like you're kind of like at the apex of technology wherever you are. Like right now it's like, man, it'll never get better than this. And that's like what we were saying about like N64 uh, when we were in college, <laughs> we were like graphics will never be better than this in a game. Um, but when we started like the iPad hadn't come out yet, you know, the iPhone existed, even like the iPhone didn't even have an app store yet. Um, and so like we, we were, you know, like Jared said, I think it's really true. We grew up with it and we actually knew a lot about the process of content creation um, through our internships and through our jobs in, in newsrooms and media. Um, and that was something that the world of tech was actually really figuring out about. And so we definitely rode that wave of like creating better and better content creation tools uh, for the web, um, thinking about the process of um uh, of, of editors kind of working with each other, even the things that we took for granted that had been kind of established in newsrooms for the last 60 years are things that teams that were doing, uh, you know, finger air quotes, content marketing did not know how to like share drafts with each other. And so even knowing some of those things, having that perspective really helped us to make better digital experiences, but also uh, bring a lot of value to our clients as they tried to figure out how to make better content. Yeah, I would say that where a traditional journalist uses, you know, a pen and paper to tell stories, I think we really learned how to use code and interaction design to tell stories. And that was kind of where we started. No one could have seen coming when the company was formed uh, 12 years ago, this novel coronavirus, you know, the last global pandemic that, you know, hit our hit our world was the Spanish flu of 1918. And very few people, you know, were around now that were around back then to deal with that global pandemic. But your company guys did a great job, I feel like, in, in shifting to meet a need to provide these services and these initiatives um, that are helping to contain COVID-19. And it's a three-pronged attack for people that have not had a chance to read any of the great stories out there about Upstatement's work. Uh, so far, it's COVID protocols, uh, COVID safe paths, and Project Z. Jared, could you, from a very generic level, describe to us what your company, how you shifted to take on this, uh, these initiatives, what the thought process was, and what the goals are at, again, a very generic level for those three initiatives? 
Sure. Well, as the, the crisis was unfolding, uh, we realized that we had a responsibility to first kind of protect our company and make sure that like people were not giving, um, you know, our workers were not infecting each other. So we did a lot of work just to kind of very quickly over the course of a weekend, go from a, a culture that was totally in the office to one that was totally remote. Um, so that that was kind of like our first activity. And then we realized, well, wait a second, we have this really talented team of designers, project managers, and engineers. What can we do? Um, well, we're not doctors, we're not nurses, we're not at that level, but there's still a lot that with our skills we could affect in the world. So those three projects, the first one, COVID protocols, um, we came to contact with a group of doctors and they were trying to figure out, okay, how can we establish the systems for sharing information about how do you treat COVID? Uh, they were literally maintaining a like 80 page Google doc, um, which was crashing and awful to use. So we took that and we created this application around it so that you could very easily browse through and find out, okay, I want to find uh, information about cardiac arrest and how that might be connected to COVID. So that was the first product uh, that we created. This next one that you mentioned, SafePaths, is all about contact tracing. Um, how can you figure out um, if I have crossed paths with someone who has COVID? Um, and then the third, uh, Project C, is about kind of the future. Okay, we're going to go back to a world um, where this exists. We still do not have a vaccine or a cure. How can we understand where we're going and how the safety is so we can evaluate those risks? So those are the three projects that we've kind of worked on. And it's been a great chance to uh, frankly like do something during this crisis, not just sit on our hands and say, I hope things get better, but let's take action and use our skills to good. Yeah, it's been it's been huge for our team just because, you know, for, first of all, it's it's the most meaningful kind of work we can be doing right now. Um, but it was definitely an, another one of those right place, right time kind of things where Jared's saying like we've assembled a team that's great at building these things. And uh, COVID protocols is a good example of like, it, it's a collaboration problem. How do these doctors share best practices with each other and how do they kind of update the record in a way that kind of is, you know, which version is the canonical version. There's a very specific audience for these things, um, which is other doctors in the field that are trying to figure out how to treat this emerging disease. Um, but it's just been, you know, sometimes <laughs> over the years we've, we've like, um, kind of comforted ourselves or working on a tough problem or like, you know, we're staying really late. We're like, you know what? Well, at least like no one will die if this website doesn't work. And now <laughs> everyone's <laughs> like, well, actually, uh, this is really important and it's really motivated people, especially as people are stuck in their houses and, you know, trying to cope with this. It's like, we can actually dig into the problem instead of just kind of being like, uh, feeling it weigh on us in an abstract way, like people are actually channeling their efforts into into fighting it. I, I think also our involvement in this kind of came about in, in an interesting way where, you know, we looked at Upstatement, which, you know, is a distributed company, but is headquartered in Boston. And we said, you know, this is really a mecca for both public health and technology. And we said, you know, there's probably a lot of important things happening in our backyard. And so we want to kind of put ourselves out there and find out, you know, where our skills could be applied. And so, you know, we did it partly by, you know, knocking on doors and talking to past clients, uh, including those that worked at healthcare companies. That was how the uh, COVID protocols came about. And then we also just tried to take advantage of opportunities where we were really interested in contact tracing. And we saw that MIT was doing some work around that. And so we just kind of raised our hand and somehow um, we fell through this trap door into their uh, Slack group where there were like hundreds of volunteers uh, trying to help to work on it. And we just kind of established ourselves as the people who were uh, suddenly 
designing the uh, first version of the contact tracing product, uh, designing the website and designing the overall brand um, just by kind of dropping in there and trying to uh, do what we could to help, you know? What was the response? And I, I'm glad you brought up the, the collaboration you guys had uh, when it came to COVID protocols with the doctors at Brigham and Women's Hospital. There's actually uh, an alumnus, Ayan Ghosh, who is a Syracuse alum who works in the emergency department there. So another connection that Syracuse alumni really are everywhere in the world, and especially right now making a difference in COVID. What was the response from the hospital? Because I can imagine how territorial they must have felt about the data in general. And we all know that this country, it's taken a long time for medical data, medical records to speak to each other, to have that communication. I guess, was there any apprehension that you guys had to break down to open up this partnership to make sure that the COVID protocols got off the ground? We were afraid of exactly that. And what we encountered was the complete opposite. Um, I think what we encountered was a hospital very aware of the moment and very aware of the seriousness um, and the walls that you would expect of, like you said, territorialism and kind of fear, uh, they went, they crashed down. They said, um, we want, we're so happy to have your help. Let's figure out how we can collaborate. And that was across uh, the legal elements, you know, the compliance stuff that obviously they'd be very concerned with, the technical pieces, um, all of the marketing communications, uh, uh, hospital infrastructure. Everyone was on the same team figuring out, we want to get this because we know that this information will save lives. And every day we wait, every day that we kind of like hem and haw and try to minimize risk, what we're doing is actually making it harder for frontline doctors and other care workers to get the information they need. So it was really beautiful to see, uh, and it's still continuing. Everyone is on the same page as we push forward and try to refine these even more, try to bring uh, the information, not just to the hospital. Uh, this is something that's used by people from across the globe, only about 10% of its traffic is from the state of Massachusetts. The vast majority is the world that's looking at this with Brigham and Women's as a leader um, in this study and saying, what can we learn from their experiences uh, to bring the best care? Yeah, that's yeah, the experience so we've had across the board is that um, all of these projects have really been citizen led and it has been individuals who've taken huge initiative to say, you know, there's, there's really a single doctor that started this at Brigham and Women's who said, this is, this is needed and I'm going to make it. And that, you know, we, we got partnered with her and kind of same, same thing with the uh, contact tracing. That was an individual who uh, had the idea and sat in his conference room at MIT and said, okay, we, we need to make this. And then went ahead and made it. And then, you know, hundreds of volunteers kind of coalesced around it because it was a great idea. Yeah. There's something to, I was just going to say like, you know, this has happened in more low stakes ways before, but usually there's kind of a focus to like, um, you know, having to get something out the door quickly and working with really smart people. That's another thing, like Upstatement is just so, uh, you know, lucky to have the, like our clients are really smart people who are at the top of their game and in their industries that, that work with us to try to like get their message out there. So there's often not a lot of the sort of like gnashing of teeth that you might find in you know, what, what we've experienced in like more advertising kind of uh, lives or things like that. Um, not to be too down on advertising, but, you know, working with experts that are kind of really trying to do something like uh, create something like COVID protocols, they're very focused and they want to get it done quickly and they want it to be accurate. Um, and so, you know, no one, no one's really trying to figure out like to make the logo bigger at that 
point in time <laughs> trying to get it out the door. <laughs> well, I know you guys have been great to give credit to, you know, the volunteer base and everybody at the 45 person office is known as Upstatement, but I want to take a little bit of time for Tito to puff his chest out with the user experience skills and his abilities in designing the contact tracing app. Tito, can you take us through this process? Um, contact tracing is a buzzword. Everybody's hearing about it on the local news, your national news outlets. People are talking crazily about the need for effective contact tracing. Give us your thoughts and your perspectives on when it comes to designing this app, how do you incorporate the, the, the privacy needs that people might have with their information being shared with the safety requirements of keeping people safe and actually accomplishing the goals of effective contact tracing? Yeah, well, I think contact tracing is going to make a huge impact in sort of helping us get back to, you know, some sort of normal. And when we started the project, it was actually two months ago, and it was kind of even before people were really talking about contact tracing. And so we were kind of taking this on many different angles. One, we were thinking about, you know, how do we raise awareness around this so that uh, people know what contact tracing is. And so we were doing that uh, through telling the story on the website and trying to help people understand that we were taking their security really seriously and their data would never be shared and you know they they would own every last bit of it and then we had to figure out the actual user experience of the product of something that was you know completely novel uh, you know there's nowhere to look to say oh like how did other people design contact tracing apps it's literally never been done before and so we had some really incredible technology and we wanted to try and just make the simplest interface possible to sort of say to people hey look here's here's what's going to happen we're going to securely log your location you're the only one who has access to it uh, if you get sick you can choose to share that information with local health authorities who will then you know build an anonymous map of where cases uh, occurred and that means that everybody who has the app will be able to test their own personal location history against that uh, that larger map of anonymous cases and see, you know, did I, could I have come across somebody, uh, you know, who uh, who was diagnosed with COVID? And so that was kind of the, the, the first version that was more GPS based. And now we're moving into things where uh, we're getting support from Apple and Google to do Bluetooth contact tracing, which is gonna be even more powerful than, than what we initially set out to design. But that that was the, those those were sort of the challenges, and we just uh, you know did did our best to uh, make the product design really straightforward. To uh, you know, I think a lot of our background is in uh, writing and design and coding and interaction design, putting all those together. So we were actually you know working really closely with their team to actually like write a lot of the initial messaging and, you know, try and adopt a voice and tone uh, that would make people feel secure. You know, for instance, uh, the app never uses the, uh, the any we words. It's always about you because we makes it sound like there's somebody else who's there watching over you and that's not what's happening at all. You are in total control of your your data. So, you know, the design goes from uh, the, the interface and the look and feel that we chose and the interactions that people are using down to the individual word choices. Yeah, yeah so it's a nice it, touch to um to have it be more of a personalized appeal versus a big brother is kind of watching you and we're all in this together. No, it's about you, the user who's who's kind of going through this. That, that really, I'm sure, does a lot to calm people's nerves about, again, my privacy, my data. Because you think about it, unlike if you were to report to your physician 
where you've been, where you might have come in contact with someone who's COVID positive, your phone has a flawless memory. You know, your phone is not going to misremember where you were two weeks from Saturday and who you came in contact with. I think that's one of the genius parts about these apps in general, Tito, is the fact that it's the memory of the phone is 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 foolproof. You know, I mean, it's it tells an accurate history of where you've been, which means you'll get an accurate result of how at risk you might have been of coming in contact with a COVID positive patient. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we had to think a lot about how that how exactly that messaging is shared. You know, if you've been in contact with somebody, you know, for an hour versus five minutes, how do we talk about that, and how do we make sure that somebody isn't, uh, you know, freaking out when uh, when they get that information? We want it to be, you know, really, uh, you know, factual, straightforward, assured, and uh, not cause somebody to panic and give them the right next steps for, you know, for what to do. What Tito is talking about, and I think like it was a great showcase of of you know Tito's skills specifically, but the the you know the team skills and taking um, an expert and an expert team at MIT that had this remarkable technology and the difference between the the contact tracer that we launched with them and and many other solutions is that like Mark Zuckerberg isn't also getting your location. It's something that's securely stored on your phone, and there there's kind of a big um, that's, that's a big deal to many people. Uh, and it also has to be communicated the right way. Um, and a lot of the, you know, when people set out to build an app like this, they're not thinking about, uh, the sort of rhetorical layer, um, or how to sell it or what it's called or how it's going to appear in the app store. And that was actually a big kind of, um, a big aspect that our team brought to this project was really helping them think about adoption and how to get this package and kind of communicate it in a way just, so people would understand what they were getting into when they looked at it and kind of understand what its benefits were, but also do the things that you have to do in any app, which is onboard people and let them understand how it works and uh, kind of really connect the dots for the user. I, I shall say for um, for the one that we're calling Project Z, we can actually refer to it as Zero. Zero is the the name of the app and it's going to be coming out later this week. So that's that's the third one that we, I think, we'll get to. What I really enjoyed about my research, and you guys obviously are, are experts in this, so you can, can talk circles around me when it comes to knowing what this app is all about. But you know, you talk about the knowledge and diagnosing from the protocols part, how to treat uh, COVID-19 patients. And then you talk about contact tracing, knowing who around you could have come in contact with you and your risk of actually coming down with the disease. But we all are being mindful of moving forward too and trying to stay safe while running errands, while going out to get takeout, while doing things in society that we've kind of taken for granted now that they've been taken away from us the last two and a half months. So I, I love the principle of what Project Zero is is bringing to the table. Who would like to talk about the origin of Project Zero, how it works, and just what makes you so excited to have that be the third of your three initiatives when it comes to containing COVID-19? Yeah, I, I can speak to that, John. So Zero is actually an organization that is, uh, it's, it's a nonprofit that's founded by a bunch of Silicon Valley entrepreneurs and VCs with uh, the vision to get us to zero new cases. And they're going to be developing, you know, a suite of different, uh, you know, apps and products to be able to help us get there. And so, you know, they are working on all different kinds of initiatives, but the one in particular that uh, we're excited about working on them with is something that could kind of be summed up as Yelp for COVID safety. And uh, probably the easiest way to talk about it is, you know, John, what, what's, have you been grocery shopping recently? 
I have. I um, my, so my wife and I uh, lived in a very very small town where there were no such things as getting your groceries delivered. We had to wear masks from almost the get go. We've moved to a bit of a bigger city where now I can go and either get me uh, get groceries delivered to us. But we've always been very careful and cautious. But we we didn't have the luxury of staying home and having you know items get delivered to us. Yeah. And how did you feel when you, especially in the early days when you went out, did you feel safe when you went shopping? Not really. Um, I felt like you were taking your life and putting it on the line to run the most essential and mundane of tasks, you know, going to a Wegmans to get your groceries or going to a Walmart to grab some tools that you need for a backyard project. Not an essential. However, having a home and owning a home, I've quickly learned that backyard projects are incredibly essential when it comes to having a lot of time on your hands for working on project. Absolutely. You know, there's always a a, a running to-do list and and things to do around the house, but I didn't really feel safe because I knew I was fine. I knew we had sheltered in place. We're very fortunate to have jobs where we can work from home and still get our work done at a high level, but I didn't know what the other people had been around, who they had been exposed to. So for me, that was the great variable of, I can control my own decisions, but I can't control what my surrounding uh, citizens did when it came to going to a store or who they came in contact with. Exactly. Yeah. And every store that you go to is handling it a little bit differently. And so part part of the idea around uh, Zero's first product offering is that you would be able to look and see what safety precautions different businesses are taking. So before you even go out, you would be able to see, okay, all the uh, customers are required to wear masks. They practice social distancing there. All of the uh, employees wear masks, hand sanitizer is readily available. So we worked with the board of epidemiologists to understand what are the uh, safest things that different stores could be doing, knowing that these uh, uh, protocols are really going to be different. These guidelines are going to be different across every single uh, locality. And so this would allow you just in the same way that you uh, open up your phone and you're like, hmm, is the, you know, does that place have good takeout, you know, is the, is the, does the food taste good there? You would be able to find out, you know, how, uh, you know, does this place take safety seriously and do I feel comfortable going there or between five different grocery stores that I could go to locally, which one is doing the most uh, to help me feel safe? And you can kind of make your choice ba- based on that. And the hope is that one, there will be a little bit of, uh, you know, market pressure because if there are five grocery stores and one is uh, going above and beyond, the other four are going to be encouraged to, you know, to do something uh, to compete with that. And it also allows customers to sort of uh, hold those places accountable and make sure that they are, each store is doing the absolute most uh, to try and help keep them safe. So hopefully it creates, you know, a safer society overall. And we're going to be launching that later this week in New Rochelle, one of the hardest hit uh, initial areas. Uh, and so we're really hopeful that that'll have a positive impact there. And we already have hundreds of stores in the in the database and, uh, you know, have an understanding of what different people are are doing there. It's an awesome idea. It's a really cool way to, again, use the data, use the volunteers who are out there to, to, to look out for each other and, to, and make people feel like they're making informed decisions based on actual evidence and not just speculating, well, I trust that store, so I'm sure they're doing what they say they're doing. No, this actually gives you those recommendations, which will hopefully make people feel safe. And we can carry on with these protocols once uh, once we're able to make it through this this pandemic. And, and Jared, I want to go back to you for a question yeah. that comes to volunteers. And this doesn't get off the ground just with the 45 people 
the Work It Up statement. How big of a role have volunteers played in helping to get these three initiatives off the ground? Uh, volunteers is what all of these communities are based on. Um, as Tito was saying, a lot of these started with kind of a single doctor or a single person in the room saying, man, someone ought to do something and then taking the initiative to do it. And the way they begin is not with, uh, you know, big bankrolls or um, big structures, but just people coming together and looking at each other and saying, what can I do and what can you do and how can we work together? And, you know, I think I've been most working on COVID protocols with these doctors and they think we can just like move heaven and earth because we know code. And we're like, oh man, like code, who cares? You're like doctors. That's crazy. (laughs) So it's been a fantastic way to meet each other in this moment and say, well, what do you have? What do I have? And how can we bring those two things together to create something bigger? Um, Obviously, we're, you know, we're trying to run a business and we're trying to create things that can be sustainable in the long run. And that's requires money, unfortunately. But where this has all begun is just, I think, people, citizens with skills looking at each other and saying, well, I want to do something um, that's going to be meaningful in this moment. Um, and that's kind of the the origin of all these projects. And, you know, these are just a sample of what's going on out there. Um, we're all trying to, like, work with each other and figure out, okay, what are some of the pieces that are really going to make, you know, the new world that we're entering um, livable and workable. Uh, and I, I'm really excited that I think these three um, are going to be components of that. And that's, that's awesome to be a part of. Now I do want to, I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up some of the other great ventures that Upstatement is taking on. COVID-19 is obviously taking front stage, center stage right now with the fact that we're dealing with unprecedented times in our, in our history. But uh, I want to shine some light on the work you guys did uh, with the trace uh, it's a collaboration to document the more than 1,200 children who have lost their lives to gun violence so far in the year since that horrific uh, school shooting at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida. The second issue that really was affecting almost everyone, it seemed like, was getting so desensitized towards these school shootings and the school violence and hearing every every time it would happen, we almost got a little bit more numb to the fact that this had happened and kids had lost their lives way, way, way too young. What was the thought process behind this collaboration with The Trace? And and how did Upstatement get involved in not just documenting how many kids have lost their lives, but honoring and commemorating their lives? Because again, these lives were cut way too short. Yeah, yeah. No, it's a it's depressing. And some of the people that worked on the project are like, this is a tough subject to have to work with every day. Um, but you know, that's why that we've actually been working with the Trace for a long time, even before. Um, the, uh, the since Parkland project, um, I started working with, uh, James, um, their founder, uh, was that four years ago, Jared, mm-hmm. um, we helped them, we helped them get off the ground five, did you say? Yeah. Um, we helped them get off the ground and, uh, kind of start their newsroom. Cause they, they realized that no one was covering this. It, like, I think they, they identified that many of the, the bigger papers and bigger news outlets, uh, had kind of ended their beats around, um, just the issue of gun violence as a public uh, health issue. Um, and so they hired some of these ta- really talented reporters that used to be at the New York times and, and elsewhere uh, and started the trace. And we helped them build their website and help them kind of like figure out who they were and how to tell their story. And then they, they called us back to work on the since Parkland project. Uh, and that was another collaboration situation. So um, that one was actually, uh, Jared, you, you have more of the backstory on that one, I think. It was a really interesting collaboration because the stories um, were actually written by student journalists from across the country. So it was high school journalists telling the stories of other kids who had been killed by gun violence. All too often, um, you know, these are just numbers that you hear about, you know, 
uh, this school shooting, this many victims, this other shooting, this many victims. They wanted to spotlight the fact that this is going on every single day, whether or not uh, the national news media is focused in on it. So those 1,200 stories, those are happening every single moment um, in cities, in rural areas, in suburbs, uh, kids killed through accidents, kids killed through gang violence, kids killed through domestic violence and other things. All of those stories still matter. Um, and it was really a amazing effort to bring them together and personalize them. Um, we did a lot of work to create some, some interesting graphics that kind of helped to give each kid a unique uh, image that we could put with them because we couldn't always find photos. We also wanted to tell stories about who they were. Um, you know, dancers, football players, um, aspiring uh, actors or journalists or other things. So it wasn't just names and, and ages, uh, but the stories behind them. Um, and it was a really fantastic collaboration um, to work on. Uh, but it goes kind of into a larger piece that we've been always looking to do at Upstatement, whether it is COVID or gun violence. We're really lucky to have these skills. We're really lucky to be able to do something with them. And we don't want to just use them to sell potato chips. Um, we want to use them to tell the really important stories of this time, have create things that matter in that moment, whether that is COVID right now, um, gun violence, um, other things around uh, social justice and other important other important issues that have been going on for the last 10 years that we've been in business. Um, we're really proud to be putting our efforts behind those things um, and really proud of the effect it's had in the world. Yeah, and Jared, for that project on the trace, I can say because I didn't work on it that it is a really beautiful piece of work. And I know it was inspired by both uh, Maya Lin's Vietnam War Memorial and candlelight vigils. And I think it has a really reverent and human touch for uh, such an, you know, such an important story. It's really interesting to see the way, and you guys at the very beginning of the podcast, we started off talking about newspaper careers and and telling stories. And I've just really, I've learned a lot from, from you guys all here on the podcast, hearing about how important staying true to telling stories and, and getting a, putting a voice for those who don't have a voice. And, and, and obviously you're doing so much more than just that with the COVID-19 work, but it's, it's phenomenal. The work you guys are doing with Upstatement. I really wish you guys nothing but the best moving forward. Uh, hopefully uh, we're able to get back to, you know, just having uh, global design brands to get to focus on uh, with the yeah. results kicking in from all your COVID-19 initiatives. But Jared Novak, thank you for, for coming on the podcast today. Thank you as well, John. Mike Swartz, it was a pleasure having you on to, to share your perspective, and we really appreciate all your hard work. Thank you, John. And Tito, my man, who's out there designing all these great apps with, <laughs> with everything, the technological part of it that speaks circles over my head when it comes to developing applications out there. The work that Tito Batita is doing with Upstatement is just tremendous, and it's commendable. So please keep up the great work, stay safe, and stay healthy. Thanks so much. You too, John. Thanks for checking out the latest installment of the Cuse Conversations podcast. You can find our podcast on all of your major podcasting platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. You can also find our podcast at alumni.syr.edu slash Conversations and anchor.fm slash Conversations. My name is John Boccasino signing off for the Cuse Conversations podcast.